think you're good. Yeah, um, you can you can go ahead and start. I got a couple of tweakings I got to do over here. All right. Well, while you're doing that, an official good morning. This morning we'll be reading from Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts divide violence and their lips talk of trouble. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Wisdom is too high for a fool, and the gate he does not open his mouth. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your souls know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? My son, eat honey. For it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it, and be displeased, and turn away his anger from you. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise, for disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. These also are sayings of the wise. Partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that build your after that build your house, I'm sorry. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. 
Do not say, I will do to him as he does to me, has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with needles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sheep, a little slumber, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and won't like an armed man. I don't know, you do count sheep when you're looking for slumber. I think that's, I think that's apropos and stuff. And this is another fine day in the Lord as we come to uh, study God's Word and uh, fellowship together in His Word. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 primarily, Acts chapter 2. We're not leaving Hebrews, but there's a few things that we want to cover this morning. And, um, so as we begin this morning... I have it on your bulletin, um, Hail to the Power of Jesus, but we're going to start this morning with Deep, Deep Love of Jesus, because that's one of Becca's favorite, and we are celebrating her birthday today, so we're going to sing that song for her honor. So, it would rise and remain uh, standing for the opening prayer. Thank you. 
Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this morning. Thank you for coming together this morning, the opportunity, the freedom that we still have to do that. I pray this morning, Heavenly Father, that you open our hearts to the things that we're about to study. As we come and let us remember those that are sick and those that are ailing this morning, to include Jimmy um, and for our dear sister, um, Terry. Terry. Sorry. Our dear sister, Terry, and be with her. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we come to your word, may it sanctify our hearts, may it sanctify our, our souls as we come to um, and growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. We do have call this morning, so if the phone should ring, I'll go on station identification. You can move that table however you want it, if you want to move it a different way. Um, if you want to move that table a little bit, so you don't have to pull right there and stuff. And so, Terry, forget, sorry to forget your name. <laughs> you ever, Mom, you ever have that? Will you just name just a Yes, I Okay. It's only one blank. I remember doing that with Samantha. You know, and I'm sitting there trying to say something about Samantha to Beck, you know, my niece. And, and I finally said, your niece. <laughs> your niece. Well, I was a little confused. Wait till you, you get to this age. You'll have to, when you get older, you'll, you'll figure out what I'm talking about. When you, when you get to grandma and grandpa syndrome, when you <laughs> run through the whole list of all your children and grandchildren, before you finally get to the one you talk about. But I already do that. <laughs> already does it. I could be calling somebody and say, what day is the day? <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah keep, keep in prayer. Um, Terry and Mike, um, you know, they're going through, they've been going through their challenges um, uh, and continue to be with them at this time. And, um, also for JD, um, JD's doing good. He's he just came back from Florida last week. He's, he's um, and he's you know he's got his challenges too with the same thing. And so um, and anyway, I did have some notes up here and I don't anymore. Anybody see where my notes went? Oh, I got some right there. But I had some nice, nicely, nicely uh, separate so that I could flip them. Hmm. All, right. all right. All right. Can you take them upstairs? Yeah, probably upstairs. Go grab them real quick. Hey, y'all talk quietly amongst yourself. Play some music or something. <laughs> oh, you're all right. Black, like the birds migrating over the black birds. Oh, yeah. They were... Got these on there. What's that? All right, you're done. That's a talk. All right, thank you. Let me hear. You know, um, when you're studying the Word of God, you come to, sometimes you'll get that one, sometimes it's just one piece of puzzle. 
you're struggling with Scripture here and there, and there's just something missing, something that's not connecting. And uh, I think I found it this week. Actually, Bob, uh, in our study with Bob, kind of, uh, you know, hit it. I was skirting around it, but he really came right down and, and smacked me right between the eyes with it. And it really, it really brings to light some of the things we're talking about in the book, the letter of Hebrews. In studying Hebrews, we must correctly identify, and it's not in Hebrews, but it's in, in other books too, too, that as we are learning these things, as we learn books, it's important that we know in context what this is about. Because sometimes there's a word, or sometimes there's a context that we miss, and, and who it's written to. See, I might be talking to Gunner, and might be saying one thing now, while Grady, you might get something out of the message and, and the communication given to Gunner. You might get a few points of, okay, I remember him telling me. But the message is to Gunner. There's a specific people who this letter is addressed to, the whole letter, and especially the six, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to open up something. So while all scripture is God breathed and is proper for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training righteousness, not all scripture is for our direct application. That means it wasn't to us. It was to somebody else. And this is where I have to correct and readjust my own understanding and hopefully redirect it where you understand it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 does shine some light on it. So first of all, point of instruction today, point of interpretation. Number one, there were believers before the church age. There were believers before the cross. Do you, you all track on that, right? Mm-hmm. There were believers before Jesus died on the cross. There were believers. Um, and those believers, uh, we'll get into that. Number two, we have to categorize, we have a categorized believers as really two. Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. Uh, those that were saved prior to the cross and those that were saved after the cross. Everybody track here. Everybody's, everybody's with me so far. Alright, I'm going to go, I'm going to go easy on this because there, there's some new ideas coming that maybe you thought of, but I haven't. So I'm going to be slow in trying to present this. The first generation of Christians coming out of Jewish faith, we covered this, They were believers in Judaism. They did Jewish ways. They, uh, they, they believed as Jews believed. And, um, but, uh, let me see. Give me, give me my board. Son. All right, here we go. Let's start. Old Testament. Okay, Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had believers. How were they saved in the Old Testament? Let me just ask you a question. How were, how were people saved in the Old Testament? Important question. Because you'll be asking. Okay, they believed in the promises. There would be. Abraham believed and demonstrated it to him. 
Okay, great, because that's what I was going to ask. What we said. Uh, Michael brought up, if you didn't hear it, is that um, Abraham believed in the promise of God and it was credit to him for righteousness. And, um, in fact, what they did, and what did they believe? I do believe that they believed in the resurrection. That, that and we saw that with Abraham when he takes his son up to the mountain to be, uh, to be sacrificed. And he, and he told the, the men who was left back with the gear, he said, me and my son will return, even though Abraham knew he was going to, um, he was going to um, sacrifice his son. So I believe the Old Testament saints believed that there was going to be a resurrection. Even in, in the gospel message, understand the gospel messages, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was still in the Old Testament period. It wasn't, it's, even though it's new to, in the New Testament that we read them, the age was still in the age of Israel. The church had not begun yet. When did, when did the church begin? Pentecost. On the age of Pentecost. This is 50 days after Jesus was resurrected. So, um, Jesus asked Martha, or he says to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection, the way, I am the resurrection, the way, the life. Do you, anyone who believes in me shall not perish, even though he lives. Martha, do you believe this? Okay, so, yes, it was faith. It's always been faith. So, they looked forward. Now, they couldn't identify. They didn't know what the cross was. But they recognized that there was going to be a redeemer, someone that was going to redeem them from their sins. So, prior to that was the uh, coming up to the cross. So, you have the Old Testament, Old Testament saints. Saints are those who are set apart. And that includes... That includes Adam and Eve, that includes Noah, that includes... They believe in the promises of God. Okay, after the cross, now, how is one saved in, in, the, in that, after the cross? They believe in the, the works of Lord Jesus Christ. There you go. They go back, and, and as believers in the New Testament, we look back. To the cross. We believe and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. His work, his, his work upon the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all the cross. We are looking at the cross beyond that. Now, the audience in which we're talking about in, the, in Hebrews has this distinction that there is a overlap. Okay, there is an overlap. They, they began out as Old Testament saints. They, they were believing in the promises of God for eternal life, or for, they were, uh, for salvation. They believed in the promise of God. It was credit to them for righteousness, just like Abraham. But what happens after the cross? Because these people are still living. These people... Yes, they were ones that were, many of these were shouting, some of these, and maybe not all of them, but there were those that were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They did not believe that Jesus, Jesus the, the carpenter's son, was Jesus. But they believed. They believed as Old Testament saints. They were still believers. And then, those afterwards, after the 
Pentecost, there were those that received the Holy Spirit. And they became what? Christians. Christians. And what we would call... Messianic Jews. Okay, Messianic Jews, we could call them that. But they, but they, but in a sense, we all are, and the brethren, Christian from that point. So there is that place right here. So... Um, so that, that so these people had the characteristic of being Old Testament saints coming into a New Testament belief. From Old Testament belief to New Testament belief. They were already saved. As we're going to look at Acts today. You can go ahead and give me back my screen. As as we as we um as we've already noted. They're already saved. When they came to Jesus, when they looked at the cross, they were already saved. By their trust already, they were already saints. Now these people also may have been the ones who denied Christ. Really, they denied Christ. I don't believe that this is the Son of God. I don't believe it. No way. Uh Uh-uh. You know, it, it didn't compute to them. Okay, and uh, and remember that this is before the before the Pentecost. Okay, so in the age of Israel, prior to the church age, one would, as Adam did, they would believe the promises of God. But now there there is a um, there's we're still faith we're still faithing, but we're looking back to the cross rather than ahead of the cross. So many in the early church were saved prior to coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were the Old Testament saints. They had believed in the promise of the Messiah. And now they had to believe in the one who had come and died and rose again. So um, with that, let's, let's go to Acts 2, if you're not there yet. On the day of Pentecost, at 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, 120 believers met. The first crossover from the Old Testament saints to the New Testament place took place at Antioch. 120 believers. Acts 112. 112? Acts, yeah, yeah, let's back up. Acts 112, thank you. That's just chapter. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. This is after the ascension of Jesus into heaven, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, these were the apostles, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and the son of the, uh, Simon the Zealot, Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all, with one mind, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So these were... At the time, Peter stood up in the midst of his brethren a gathering of 100, 
and 20 persons was there together. Okay, these were not New Testament, these were believers. Again, Old Testament saints, these were not Christians. The, the Pentecost has not yet happened yet. Alright, moving on, let's drop down to Acts 2, verse 1. So the caveat being the Holy Spirit. Yes, they had not received the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm glad you brought that up, Michael. There is a distinction between Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. Old Testament saints were those that believe, uh, they were the, those that believed the promise of God. They believed in the coming of the resurrection. These people, the Old Testament saints, were their promises. Their, 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 the promises are related to the promises on of earth. It was to them that the kingdom of heaven is promised. It was they, they who were looking for a earthly promises. They were looking for the, the uh, like I said, again, resurrection. As Abraham, their, their faith modeled that of Abraham. Abraham was looking for a city not built with hands. And he looked forward to inheriting the land, him. His son Isaac, his son Jacob, they were looking for the the in, the resurrection. That was a promise, and maybe we can look at a few more promises that they were looking forward to. But there wasn't much compared to the church. And I don't have a conclusive list here, but the church—you gotta, if you want to thank God for something, thank God we were born in this age. Oh my goodness. Our socks have been blessed off. Do you realize that? We are family. We are royal family of God. We are the bride of Christ. Not Jews, but we. And, and, and includes Jews and Gentiles. Um, anybody that proclaims the name of Christ. We have a not an earthly inheritance, but a heavenly inheritance. Jesus said that store up your riches in heaven. So we're not looking for what God is doing for us here on earth, but what he's already done, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We share his sonship. We call the Father, Father. We are a family of God. That's not the Jews, ladies and gentlemen. That's us in the church age. I love what Bob said. He said, stop trying to steal the blessings for the Jews. Because what is promised to the Jews is there. What was promised to us is us. And we, um, no eye has seen, no ear has heard all that God has prepared for those who love Him. That's you and I. It's, it's remarkable. So, there is a distinction. Where would you rather live? And as, would you rather live in the Old Testament as a Jewish believer or the church age as a, as a uh, Christian, as a follower of Christ? All right, Acts 2, 1. Thank you again, Michael, for that. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came a heaven, uh, from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, 
distributing themselves, and they uh, and they were they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit has given them utterance. In case I forgot to tell you, that's where Mike brought up. Back in the Old Testament, there was only a very few enough people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. For us, every one of us who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us permanently. It won't be taken away. Alright? We can talk more about that, but we're going to move on. So that's another distinction. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men of every nation under the heaven. This is the Jews of the diaspora. Those are the displaced Jews. And all of them would come to Israel. And they were devout. That means they, they had a careful consideration of God and who God was. These were, these were Old Testament saints. They were gathered here in obedience to what they would come to uh, Jerusalem three times a year. And one was for the Passover. And with this, uh, and then, and for for Pentecost, they also showed up at Pentecost. Okay, here we go, verse six. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together, and they were belittled, bewildered, because each one of them were hearing them speak in his own language. Stop right there. Hold right there. Tongues were. For this particular age, for this period right here. And it was specifically for Jewish evangelism. It wasn't for it wasn't for some what people explain as spiritual language or this, that, and the other thing. There was distinct purpose and it's outlined right here what tongues were for. So when, when a church comes in and they have some don't get confused, when they have some type of gibberish or something going on in the um, in that church and people rolling around like craziness within that church. That's not from God. Let's make that clear. Verse 7. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not these who are... Well, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. All these are Jews just from these areas. Um, uh, Phrygia and um, Pamphylia, uh, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongue speak of mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement with great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking them, saying, They are full of sweet wine. The world of saints did not all receive the Holy Spirit. Understand this. Okay, the whole world, okay, in this known world, they, these people, not everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. There was this 120 at the beginning who received the Holy Spirit. And I, I never realized this. Just these in this upper room, 
These are the ones that received the Holy Spirit. Now there were other saints. So right now, at this period of time, with this crossover, we really have three. We have Gentiles. We have we have um, Old Testament saint Jews, and now we have the Christians. Okay, two categories of Jews: those Old Testament saints. And those have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that crossover. Alright? Any questions at this point? Trying to make this slow and clear. I'm not trying to get through this. Trying to make where we're at and carefully going over it. If we have to pick up next week, I will. So there were two categories of believers in the first generation. The Old Testament believers who were devout and were looking forward to the Redeemer. And those who those had not received the Holy Spirit yet. But there were those others who did receive the Holy Spirit, which brought them into the family of God, born-again believers. They were both saved, but one with the Spirit and one without. There were, in fact, during this time, two different, I don't want to say different, maybe I should say different, Okay, if you if you don't agree, just that's fine. Uh, we'll hash it out. I'm still hashing this out. There were two tape, There were two gospel messages, or at least how the gospel was presented. That maybe now I should say that two ways that the gospel was presented. This is important for our own salvation, by the way. It's going to clear up a thing, a few things with me. I hope it does with you. The salvation message for these Jews who had not yet received the Holy Spirit, was this. And you'll recognize this. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. What does repentance mean? Metanoia. What does it mean? Changing your mind. To change your mind. Change your mind. Okay? Now, baptized. Baptismo. What does that mean? To be identified. Very good. Got you on both of these. So what, what the message is to change your mind, to change your mind, and to be identified with Christ. To change your mind and be identified with Christ. Now we hear so often how repentance means to feel sorry for your sin. No. No. And there are people that's going to disagree vehemently about this. They'll say repent does mean that you are sorry for your sins. That, that How many times we, we go to evangelist meetings and how often does the evangelist say, well, first of all, you've got to tell God what you did and tell God that you're sorry and that you're a sinner and this, that. You know, and they get it from this to be to repent, be, feel sorry for your sins and be baptized and go into water baptism. This is not what this is about. This is a message to those Old Testament Jews. And the message to them is, first of all, change your mind. Many of these Jews um, disagreed with who and what Jesus was initially. Let's move on, rather than steal my thunder. Um, let's, let's take it up with Peter. Peter gave his first sermon in Acts 2 with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And listen. You want to talk about stomping on your toes? 
What Peter taught was a stomping on their toes. Acts 2.22. You got it? Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man delivered over to a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You, look at this, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Ouch. Ouch. This was, this is Peter, and he, he stopped them on their toes. Now, we also know this. Who actually put Jesus on the cross? God did. His own father put him on. He used Jews as an instrument. We can also blame the Romans. We can blame Jews. We can blame whoever. But God actually put his own son on the cross. But, to get the message across, Peter is firing some, firing some, some darts at these people. People tell, and and then people after that after listen, the bad news comes first. You got to know that there's bad news before you turn over to the good news. And then Peter tells the good news that God raised Jesus from the dead. And by now, many of them had witnessed the resurrection. At this point, many of them had already seen the resurrected Christ. This wasn't some Peter was pulling off the top of their head. There were many people here that had already seen Jesus. They know he had rose again. They know that he's living. They've seen him ascend into heaven and they know he's coming back. This was, this was something. And it was all of these that now were witnessing 120 Church-age believers speaking in tongues. See, all these that were witnessed from all these other areas, they were saying, where these people come from? Why are they talking my language? This was, this was a miracle. This was, this was, wow, to them. Acts, that's uh, Acts 2.37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Remember I said, are these believers or unbelievers? These were Old Testament saints. They might be thinking right now, listen, they might be thinking right now, we have just, this is the one we've looked for. We've crucified them. We're lost. What do you do when you crucify your Savior? They're convicted. Now they're thinking that they are going to go to hell, probably. They don't have a chance. So they go to Peter and the apostles and say, What do we do? What do we do? They, they stood out there chanting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! They utterly dis- dismissed Jesus. No, I don't believe in him. 
And Peter gives him the answer. Here's the good news. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we see, repent. And that repent is to change your mind. Change your mind about what? Repent. That means change your mind about Christ. I did believe that this one died on the cross for my sins. As a Jewish believer, I did not believe in this Jesus. I dismissed him. I may have been, I may have been one who even spat on him as he went by in that, in that procession. I may have been, I may have the opportunity just to spit on him as he went by, and that's what they were doing. They were spitting, they were throwing stuff at him as he passed by with his cross. I may have been at the foot of crosses. Sneering at him and, and, and cussing at him and all. And now I'm thinking, oh my goodness. But Peter says, repent. Change your mind. Change your mind about who and what Christ is. And be baptized. Be identified. Didn't mean run out and get, and now we do get baptized and, and it is a picture. There, there's also two, two different baptisms. We'll have to talk about that. But this is spiritual baptism. Be identified. Be identified with Christ. You at one point said, no, I'm not going to be like Peter. Peter denied Christ three times. He did not. Why did Peter do that? Because he did not want to be associated with who Jesus was. And so when Peter says be baptized, he's not saying run out and jump in the water. He's saying being identified. Thank you, Gunner. Be identified with Jesus. I denied him at one point, and now I'm saying I am identified with him. Now, water baptism, when we are baptized, we are baptized in the water, and it's a public proclamation that I am believing, that I am identified with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there is a spiritual baptism. This is what I believe this is what it's talked about here. The moment, the moment that we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are baptized. We are identified with Christ. But then we do a ritual. Water baptism is our proclamation to say, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm identifying myself with him. And you will see, as a result, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You'll receive it. So, you have it yet. There were those with it. See? Now, remember my point. It's a point that I've just recently realized, come to realize. That not everybody, not all the Old Testament believers at one time had the Holy Spirit. They were still believers, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Started out with 120. And now these other ones would have to... And these others, the close to Galileans, the Galileans believed. They were with him and they saw all the miracles and all that. They received the Holy Spirit. Now these other ones, they are going to have to believe. They're going to have to repent, change your mind, and be identified with Christ to receive the Holy Spirit. To receive what they had not yet have. Okay, for the promise is for you and your children 
And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received the word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Listen, doesn't mean that these 3,000 people, the 3,000 souls were converted. It means that they crossed over from being Old Testament saints to the New Testament saints. Now, some of them may be converted. Some of them may be fresh conversions. That's okay. But those who were already believers now believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. So it was not for doing what they thought was right. Repenting from one's unbelief in Jesus Christ and through the believing being baptized or identified with Christ. That's what was getting them saved. Let's talk about Paul for a minute. It was Paul who is the apostle to the Gentiles. And he writes in Romans 1.16. Have you got Romans 1.16. Somebody give me that one. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. First one was who? The Jews. The gospel went first to the Jews. Again, I'm going to reemphasize to many who had already believed. To the and um, and they had rejected the carpenter's son from Nazareth. They at first rejected him, and now they were believing in him. And so the gospel first went out to them. Other Old Testament believers also had to come to learn of the coming of Christ and come to Him believing and receiving the Holy Spirit. So, let me ask you a question. Old Testament saints, how were the Old Testament saints saved? I mean, at this period of time. And they were already saved. Let me see. How did they receive the Holy Spirit? That should be the question. How did Old Testament saints receive the Holy Spirit after... Right. To I, repent, change your mind, and to, um, uh, to and be identified with them. That's how they received the Holy Spirit. And they all had to do this separately. It just didn't, except for those 120, these others had to, um, had to do that. They had to make that profession of faith. Let's look at Acts 19.2. Let's turn over to Acts 19.2. Are you getting it? Like me, are you getting to realize how important the book of Acts is to our faith, to understanding our faith? Acts 19.2. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. 
So, the audience here, these are Old Testament saints. They're going about their way. They're into Judaism. They, they're still Jews. They're still believing, but they haven't believed in Christ yet. They haven't identified with Him. So, therefore, they haven't received the Holy Spirit. They may have been baptized by John. Let's read on. And he said, into what, then, you were baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Two different baptisms here. Remember John the Baptist, what was his message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Note when we get to Matthew 13, that's no longer the message. Matter of fact, the teaching of the kingdom is now parabolized. Can we say that? That's no longer the message. They had rejected the kingdom. When they were being baptized, they were being baptized to, to, um, in repentance and a, a, and to, um, for their sins that they may be repent, that it may be ready so they can come into this kingdom. So it was not an identifier? It wasn't identified. Not in John the Baptist. They were identifying with the kingdom rather than identifying with the king. It was, it was repentance. It was still repentance. But um, it wasn't as it was here to identify with Christ. Different baptism. He said, Paul said, John the Baptist with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid their Look at this. When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Where do we see laying on of hands prior to our teachings recently? In Hebrews. He says, he says, stop, you know, give up these elementary doctrines, that these rituals, the laying on of hands, move on. Okay? And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues of prophesying. And they were in all about twelve men, twelve in this group, and he and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So, and then we have other places that also talk about laying on hands. I'm just going to read these out. Two others. Acts 6.6 6. And these they were brought before the apostles and after praying they laid their hands on them. Acts 8.17 And they then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So in that early group this is prior to the coming of the canon of scripture. In this early group people were receiving the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands. I, I can't get in depth on that but the laying of, on of hands was significant that it wasn't these people doing for themselves but it was a um, it was like an ordination in a sense um, I guess there will be a lot more work I have to do on my part on that but in the but just to say that in this early church they were laying on the hands now things change we're seeing a lot talking in tongues prophesying and these things, these things, listen, these were calling cards. 
this this period of time, it was before the script, I mean, a completed Bible. They didn't have the full Bible. They had the Hebrew, they had the Hebrew Testament. They didn't have the Greek New Testament. They, uh, there was a lot that they didn't understand. So put yourself, listen, put yourself in their place. You've grown up as a Jew and you've grown up under Scripture and you've You've got this mindset, you've got this presupposition, and all this stuff. What is this Holy Spirit? What is this laying on hands? What is this different baptism? What is this? There's going to be a lot of, can you put yourself in their place for a minute? There's going to be a lot of questions that it's, you're going to be confused. Because all of this is coming. But when it comes down to it, this is what I like. This is what, this is what I truly love. Because it does compare to our salvation too. When we hear the gospel, how much do you have to know to be a believer? To be saved? Jesus Christ died for you. And by trusting in him, you have eternal life. Isn't that easy? But what about this? What about that? There's a lot we don't know. As a pastor, I even tell you, there's a lot I still don't know. There's a lot that I'm still working out. You know, so that's that's me. And I think any pastor, I think any one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, no matter how much we know about the Bible, we're still working things out. All right? So... Remember what we said, we just mentioned about Hebrews 6. He said, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching of Christ, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again on the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instructions about washing, about washing, laying on hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Get back to Paul. Paul is a Apostle to Gentiles. And he gives a different variation of the gospel. And here, give me, uh, Michael, give me Romans 10, um, 10, 10. Give me Romans 10, 9. How does Paul explain the gospel? What is the gospel presentation of Paul here? Uh, starting at 8. Okay, uh, after you would. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses, confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, Michael, what's the difference between what Peter was teaching in Acts and what Paul is saying here in Romans to the Gentiles? He doesn't mention repent. He doesn't mention repent. Paul does not mention to repent and be baptized to the Gentiles. What does he do? 
what is the significance here? What what does he say do? To believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. To believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. Okay, so believing. The key is trusting. Pistuo. Trusting, believing, faithing. And um, so, let's look at another example. We could go back to Acts 16.25. And there was a jailer. A jailer is not, a jailer is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. Jews, by profession, were not jailers. And Peter gives the gospel to this um, jailer here. So, Acts 16. Peter or Paul? Paul. No, Peter and Acts. Or is it Paul? It's Paul and Silas. But about midnight. Okay, it's. Oh, yeah, he's not saying this. Okay, as you were. I'm, I'm still thinking Peter's talking here. Okay, this is an account. Uh, Luke says. How's that? Luke says. Thank you. Um, okay, 1625. But about midnight, Paul and Silas was praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake. So the foundation of the prison house were shaken. And immediately, all of the door, all the doors were open, and every everyone's chain was unfastened. When the jailer woke, he saw the prison doors open, and he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoner had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, "Do not harm yourself, for we are here. We're all here." And he called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, okay, look at this. What must I do to be saved? Okay, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together, with all who were in his house. What did the jailer have to do to be saved? Repent and baptize? No. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ plus nothing. I might be able to get through this. Hang on. So what happened to repent and believe? He did not tell the jailer to repent of his sins and believe. Nor did he tell to ever change his mind about Jesus and believe. This jailer, did, this jailer may have not even known about Jesus. So what was there to repent about him? It was simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe me. Sin is an issue. It's a big issue. But this is not the issue. Jesus took the Jesus took the issue of sin off the table. And we're not repenting for the bad things that we did. And I'm not saying that listen, we're we were we, we're sinners. We're sinners. Hello. An apple tree produces apples. An orange tree produces oranges. What does a sin tree produce, Mom? Sin. We were a sinner. It's a no-brainer. Every one of us. Yes, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I know that. Christ knows that. 
Intuitively, we know that we're separated. It is not about our sins. It's about we're separated from God that we know exists. Sin is an identifier that we've got problems. That there's a God and I have sinned against Him. Sorry to believe preaching shot at that small area here. So it is an issue. This is not saying that we are saved by grace, live by grace, and then die by grace with no thought of God whatsoever. Sin is still an issue. But when it comes to salvation, the question isn't about you and your sin. It's about who Christ is. It's about who Jesus Christ did, what he did for you, dying, and and anything that I can do is off the table. What happened after the month? Now, what, after a moment of, of, of believing is sanctification work of the Holy Spirit and of the Word of God. But getting to the cross, your only question is, what do you think of Jesus Christ, God's Son? So what about the Jews? What do they believe in this generation? What about the Jews that do not believe now that Jesus Christ. But they are still in Judaism to this day. They, they're still religious people. Well, it falls under categories of Acts 4.12. Still in Acts. Let's go back to Acts 4.12. Grady, you can read that one for me. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. All right. I say there was a grace period in this crossover from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You know, I believe that there is a, a grace period. But with the canon of Scripture and at, at some period of time, we go into the church age. And Jews are treated as every other people group in the world. They must hear the gospel message to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The gospel message is for all. And for a Jew who do not, the true Jew who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ is without salvation. Just, just out of this, the word repent is found five times in the book of Acts. Do you know in the letters, the epistles, the epistles are the letters teaching faith. You hear that word epistus in there, epistles. They're letters. And those letters addressed to, church, to churches. Do you know there's only one time that the word repent shows up, and that's in 1 Corinthians. And ten times in Revelation, and if it had to be said, Revelation is a Jewish book, except for the seven churches, the message to the seven churches, the eschatology centers around the Jews. Especially if we're thinking that the church is going to be raptured out. So we put a lot of 
we put a lot more emphasis upon repentance. Again, I don't want to belittle the the idea of your sins and that we need to repent from our sins, yes. But we're dealing with how is one saved here. And um, so only once in the letter to the churches do we see the word repent. So point of application, we're finishing this up. And so understanding our gift, our, our guilt-torn expression as an unbeliever and our own grieving over our past sins, these things are inconsequential. My pastor said, what we think of our sins and what we have done in the past, that doesn't mean a hoot. I, I'm throwing that in. I don't think he said that. It doesn't mean a hoot. It doesn't matter what we have done. Do you... Have you ever heard somebody say, well, if God only knew what I'd done, he would never forgive me. Now, Michael's heard somebody, I've heard people say, you've heard people say that? Yeah, if God knew how much of a sinner I was. We're all sinners. That's not the question. It's inconsequential. It doesn't matter if you feel sorry for those sins. It doesn't matter if you are guilt-ridden. It doesn't matter if you don't think about them. That's not the point. The point is who and what Jesus Christ is. Okay, repentance for the Jews in this transitional time period meant a change of your mind about your opinion concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the ones they previously rejected. In these days, a person you talk to may have never heard. Matter of fact, I'm surprised that people I'm coming to that don't even know who Jesus is. Remember Charlie Clough? You may have heard Charlie Clough say this on one of his uh, lectures. He said his his um, son was dating a Japanese girl. I don't know if he married her or not, but she was over. She's gone to college. She's I mean she's graduated college and everything. And they were talking about Jesus there at the table. And the girl goes, "When you this Jesus is that the guy who?" Um, died on the cross or something? And no clue. You see, our job, uh, I'm not going, I'll, I'll move on from that, but for the, there are people who have not heard of Jesus. The message isn't, the message isn't how, their behavior. The message is about Christ. Point of doctrine, number one, the gospel message to the Jews in a transitional period, was repent and be baptized. Do the research. Argue the point. Look at Scripture. And try to find where the message to repent and be baptized is directed to Gentiles. It was directed to the Jews. But are but look at that. Argue that point. I'll concede if I'll concede that point if you prove me otherwise. Point number two: the gospel message after that time to the world is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. It is believe, faith, a non-meritorious system of uh, system of faith by which we might be saved. 
I hear the gospel that Jesus Christ died for me. It's not about our sins. Number three. The gospel message is justification-oriented, which precedes sanctification. Sanctification comes after justification. We're not concerned with behavior modification. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not, our message has been skewed. We're not going out to the world and telling people to change their behavior. Stop drinking, stop smoking, stop doing this and stop doing that, and come to Jesus. No! Start preaching again. Sorry. That's not the message. The message is not me telling you that you're a sinner, that you need to stop doing this and stop doing that and stop doing that. Is it because your problem is not sin? If you're an unbeliever, your problem, your sin is on a back burner. How serious it is. But it's a demonstration that you are a unbeliever. That you need Christ. Stop trying to go out and fix the world and fix people. Bring them into the family and let Christ fix them. And bring them into understanding on what the Word of God says. So in justification, we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. And we, we are adjudicated of our sins. Sin is taken taken care of right there. It's wiped out. Doesn't matter how we feel. The moment we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins are blotted, done, gone. We are new creatures. The slate is wiped clean. And it is the result of believing, not of our repenting of sins, or making promises, do never do it again, or our vowing, or anything else. The only thing in salvation is what do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who is he? The gospel, okay, point number four. Gospel is good news. And is Jesus-focused, not self-focused. When I'm driven by guilt and shame and all the bad things that I've ever done, I'm self-focused. I'm not Jesus-focused. I'm not looking at the good news. I'm looking at myself. The message is that we are to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took our penalty for sin upon the cross, and by believing in Him, we have eternal life. And doing that, our sin debt is canceled. Now how does this apply to Hebrews chapter 6? That will be the question. I want you with that focus to go back. Especially chapter 6, but you read back from 1 to 6. And look at that in the light of who it is addressed to. These Jews who were believers then, then had become, then had repented and then in chapter 6, they're falling away from that message. Look at all that in the light of what Jesus, um, of the, these people, and where they are in their mindset. And I'll put there, you know, there'll be homework for Thursday, but we're not going to have a Thursday night class. So, um, anyway. Uh,
All right. So, um, at the cross, down at the cross is going to be our closing hymn. And um, let me see, we've got uh, two minutes. Any other, any questions at this point? Am I clear on that? Is, am I, is there confusion? Are you saying, uh, what in the world is he talking about? No. I don't think there's confusion. Maybe just uh, enlightenment, right? Yeah. So, so when you say that uh, the uh, when we're and we just start, start to turn this boat from a mindset, from turning the boat just a little bit, maybe a whole lot, from the way we viewed salvation. What is salvation? Because not only does this bring a light to Hebrews and what Hebrews talk about, especially in 6, we're also understanding our own salvation. What is it to be saved? Alright. So let's stand. It's going to be down at the cross and remain standing as we close out in prayer.
And let us pray. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for our so great salvation. As we close out today, let it be that anyone that's in the sound of my voice who is hearing this message, and they may be guilt with sin, uh, weighed down with guilt and shame for the sins of the past, they may think that they are beyond salvation. May it be, Heavenly Father, that the Spirit will open their hearts that by believing and trusting in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that it's that is the key to entering into a relationship with you. And that's where our sins are forgiven. Not by our asking for forgiveness, but by our receiving forgiveness, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for that opportunity. So we pray, Heavenly Father, as we come into the season of Thanksgiving, let us be thankful for that so great salvation. And may the may what's in our heart be echoed, and may our as we sit around our tables and partake and and, and with family, may it be that there will be family members that will hear this message and will respond to it and be saved. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your grace, your mercy, and your kindness. And these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. No.